What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. Just, he's sitting right here in front of us, <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck in this house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're, just, fucking. we're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client. We'd look after and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't been paying us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so we <laughs> we may as well tell people if they're in Australia and you need dog gear, don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E i n z w e c k dot com. There you go. Nice. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right. On to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine Suticals. Yep. The best canine suticals. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. It's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes. In Canada. In Canada. Yes. Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? He's puppy class. Puppy class. Yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love Barbara. She just loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did you pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he does it. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club, South Dog Club Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got there. It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork. Yeah, it looks good. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. It's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. Taylor so thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. 
If you would like to be an advertiser, <laughs> don't do it. Reach out to us. Shut up, you buffhead. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just put money in there. That's wonderful. Yes, but we do have to limit how many people we have. And so, get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you, and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser, and that you align with our ethos as well. Of course, that's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yes. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's, look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit behind <laughs> Dan Croft, Puppy Classes, yep. Cool Facility, Barber de Groot. Amazing sugar mama, love her, from the hot dog training. George Kittridge. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. Tro- dog clubs, Troppy <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> dog clubs, <laughs> Australia, yeah, and new to the family, tailored canines, yeah, all the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah, mo- do. mostly from the United States. One from Oz. Well done, well played. Thank you, sirs and madam. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello, sir. Sounds like a school, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like you're about to deliver a lecture. Yes. Go ahead. I actually got a nice message off Joe Hodge just oh, yeah? before we did this oh, yeah? to show me he's got some new merch in, which looks really cool. I, got I like his logo. I got the same message. One of the things that he said in the message, which I really thought was nice, was that he really feels like he owes you and me a debt of gratitude that he could never repay. Mm. It's beautiful to get a message like that off anyone, but he's really a cool dude and he doesn't owe us anything. Like no one owes us anything. We're all bound to each other. I feel that we have helped create this incredible diversity amongst dog trainers and other people are doing it the same. You know, like there's people out there who are doing an incredible job creating diversity, creating education, creating terrific platforms for people to come in learn, populate it, and then disperse amongst themselves better information. So it's just help raising the bar. So Mm. the situation I feel anybody who wants to repay is repay us by helping us raise the bar together. Mm. That's what we really need to do. That's what our community needs to focus on. Yeah, I agree. It kind of bleeds into your topic idea that you had. Yeah, there's a post in our group. Zoe put it in there. Zoe Needy. Zoe Needy, yep. Yep. She says, if you could hand a brand new dog trainer three books, Mm -hmm. which would you pick and why? Yep. And there's 92 comments there, some really interesting conversation about that. But it had me sort of thinking... In the dog space, there's always kerfuffles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we never go a week without some kind of drama, right? Well, you've always got those little pockets of people. And I saw Chad Mackin trying to do it the other day where he was talking about unifying people and stop building classes or divisions and so forth, which I agree with Chad. You know, yeah, like yeah. fundamentally it's a very nice thing to do. But holistically, it's impossible. Mm. You know, when people are greedy and thirsty and just diving in all over the place to try and take other people's work and – trying to outperform somebody else. They're always blocking people. They're always trying to manifest drama in the dog industry that doesn't need to be there, but you won't stop them. Yeah. There's so many people that are coming into this industry. I mean, I've been lectured by people who would have been infants when I was starting off dog training. Like they wouldn't have even been born yet. And some of these people are trying to lecture me on things that we knew when we're doing 30 years ago. Mm. And saying that, it's not that I'm beyond being instructed or taking instruction from a younger person because I have and I willingly do. 
when they're right and when they have better information on what I've got. And there are some people who really have been brilliant disciples of going around and collecting better information and bringing it back and you you look at what they've got to say and you think, that's incredible. Mm. But there's other people who are just not. Mm. They're just not impressive, but they fight you. They're vehemently trying to stick it to you to make you think you've got to take this old man because you're past your prime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that sort of is worth bringing up that something we've discussed a few times and, and you know, on the show and just amongst ourselves is mm. that everything old is new again. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting to see the cycles that happen online. And, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I enjoy the aspect of being able to build community and stay in touch with people. Even that in itself, I think is a double-edged sword. Like one of the things that I find a little bit gross about social media is the voyeuristic nature of it. And that's good and bad, I think. Take, for example, Sean's a great example, right? Sean Edwards? Yeah, Sean Edwards. Like we hadn't seen Sean in years from when COVID collapsed the world. And we last saw him in 2019. Yes. Before the world collapsed, he was meant to come here in 2020 to him and Janet were both meant to come judge a trial for us and you know all the all the normal stuff that's right and then it wasn't until i saw them at nationals in 2021 and then not again until i was at their place for the seminar earlier this year what we are not very good at as people anymore certainly i'm not very good at is staying in touch with people like just calling people to bullshit with them and stuff like that like friends that you would have in the past had to ring because i remember when I was posted School of Infantry and had to drive three hours back and forth to Singleton, not School of Infantry, but like same place, when I was driving back and forth multiple times a week, three hours, I'd be on the phone the whole way because yep. there was no podcast really then. There was no, like there was, but they weren't as popular. It wasn't a, the diverse range. There wasn't as many things to listen to. Yeah, there were audio books, but I used that time to stay in touch with people. Mm. But now via social media, you're kind of fairly in touch with people, but it's fake in touch because it's the version of the life that they're chosen to show you. And so that's one of the things I found, like just to use Sean as an example, like I kind of felt like, oh no, I'm staying up to date with him. We send each other the odd message here and there, but I see what he's up to. I I follow him online and stuff, you know, but then when I was at his house earlier in the year, I was like, you've totally remodeled the house. Like, I didn't know you'd done this. This is completely different. And Mm. like, he wouldn't show, you wouldn't show that on social media. Right. And then you know, we're discussing the challenges involved in that and just like actual personal things that he wouldn't put on social media. And therefore I I realized in that moment, I was like, oh, I've actually lost touch completely with you. We have separated. I don't know you as well as I, I thought that I did because I'm watching online, seeing what you're doing and I feel like I'm connected to you, but I'm not really. But not I'm, the intimate stuff. Yeah, I'm connected in so much as what you're willing to show everybody. I'm not connected in the way that the things that I, you know, like you would show a friend. So that's kind of the double-edged weapon of social media. But I think back to sort of more in line with our topic is within the dog training space, we're, we're more connected than we've ever been via social media, but also more disconnected than we've ever been yes. because of social media. Mm. And simple things like when there's a seminar, for example, it used to be, do you remember like when uh, I first was bringing Bart out here to Australia, that was like 2016, something like that. Yeah. There was posters back then. Like, yes, the internet existed and there was like, you know, Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. But you had to send PDFs to people. Yeah, you yeah. actually had to go see people and in their training space be like, hey, can I put this poster in your training space so that yep. people from your club can see this rather than it just being like, oh, you flick out the group Like you create a page or, on Facebook and then invite everyone and yeah. they just sort of congregate over there. and Yeah, like, it's that sort.
sort of personal touch is what we don't really have. And I Mm. think that certainly leads to, you know, a lot of arguments and misunderstandings and, and all that kind of stuff. Like we're not as connected as we think that we are. But that level of connection that we have and disconnection that comes with it, I think creates a lot of problems <laughs> in that people think they know people where they, you don't really, you know, the version that they've put out. And what I saw during the week was, I don't know all the details of it, but someone was doing a seminar. Someone had said that they're giving a learning opportunity and other people were not happy that they were doing that because of the level of experience the person had. And I think that that is always going to be happening gave me cause to think at what point do you, are you allowed to start passing on your information? You know, like at what point do you get the tick in the box and who do you get that from and who's there to decide who has value and who doesn't have value? Because I think one of the things that a lot of the times for us, the, the dog training community online is very interconnected. Like we're all friends on Facebook. We talked about this many times, how it's an odd thing. I get all these different friend requests from people I don't know. And as well as like people can follow you on Instagram. That's sort of how that platform's designed is you follow. It's not a mutual follow sort of thing like you get on Facebook. So people have this idea that you're pitching, you know, especially on Facebook, that that you can pitch to your clients and stuff like that. But in reality, the majority of the people that would see that are actually your peers and your competitors and stuff like that. And what I think people kind of forget is that if somebody who you consider a peer or maybe even less accomplished than you, less knowledgeable than you, less of a person who should be giving information than you, when they're advertising things, it's not for you. It's for their clients. They're absolutely proficient and and capable of teaching too. You know, like because their level of information might not be at a very, very high level. It might be at a medium level. It might even be at a somewhat low level. But as long as they're delivering that information to the people who uh, it's appropriate for, then power to them. Like they should be doing that. But it's a, the process of the distribution of these things goes fairly broad. So people then see like, oh, who's this person thinking that they have something to offer when they don't have anything to offer you. They probably don't. They've probably got nothing they could teach you, but they have a shit ton that they could teach other people. And I think we forget as well that the learning process is a stepping stone. This is one of the things that I I used to, when I would host the Nipopo schools here and people would say, oh, I don't have any experience. Is it appropriate for me? And it always put me in a really tricky position because I was like, yes, it is. In one way, you're not coming with any baggage. You're not coming with any preconceived ideas. You've got nothing to unlearn in order to learn how to do this. But in another way, it's too much information. You can't digest all that. Like you need to kind of half know most of this stuff already to then have like a place to store the new bits. Because I think what really happens, I haven't been to an EPOPO school in a long time since pre-COVID. I don't know, especially now that it's a new format. I don't know what that is. I'm not up to date with it. So I'm, I'm sort of talking on old data. But with that old data, the real value that, I got from Bart, what many, many people got from Bart is the connecting pieces of the big ticket items. But if you're there to learn the big ticket items, like, yep, they're going to be explained, they're going to be taught, but they're probably not going to be taught in a way that you can then say, well, that's it. I'm hundred percent proficient at this. I know it. If you're learning what operant conditioning is, what classical conditioning is at a seminar like that, or a learning experience like that, then you're going to be having a very hard time putting together the connecting pieces on how they function together and the chains that you can build and the way that you can use those things creatively, because that's where the real value is from that. So it it used to put me in a tricky position because I'd say to people, yeah, this is a great starting point, 
but also I knew it's not the best starting point, but it's a good one, but it's definitely not the best one. And so my topic, what I wanted to sort of tease out with you a little bit was that if you imagine you had a blank slate, you've got a person who has decided, hey, I want to become a dog trainer. This is what I want to do. You know, I've had dogs my whole life. I'm enthusiastic, but I've not began the journey of learning how to really understand this stuff. We get to sit down in front of a whiteboard with that person and go, all right, sweet. Here's the learning out. Here's the path. Here's what we're going to do. What do we do for that person? Before I answer that question, I want to circle back to some of the cause and effect I believe that's going on in the industry at the moment and why that vitriol is existing with Mm -hmm. people that are making these comments online. I feel that there is a lot more desperation in the industry at the moment because there's not a lot of work around and what is around Mm. people are really scrounging and fighting with each other. That's a good point. I put a post in the ISCP member group the other day and just asking the question, how is things for you guys out there at the moment? Are you getting work or is it lower than what's expected? There was a very small margin of people that said, I've got as much as I need or more than I need. The vast majority of people saying it's terrible. Mm. It's down... I think worldwide when we were speaking with people or when I was speaking to people in New Zealand, when I was speaking to people at Nationals, at PSA, speaking to people at Michael's and just speaking to people online in general and here in Australia, people are down between 20 and 50% of their Mm. takings at the moment. So when that happens, people start questioning what's wrong with me or what's wrong with the industry or what do I need to do different? Mm. And when the industry creates a level of desperation like that, that's when people start to turn in on each other. The competitor that you had that you didn't really need to worry about because you were bringing in a a wage, you were putting as much bread and milk on the table as you needed to do, but now when you don't have that and you're all border fighting for each other, that's where I find these situations start to blow out online and that's where I find that people start to get more and more edgy with the comments that they're trying to make. And like you, I used to love commenting on social media. I used Mm. to really enjoy seeing a good post and then participating in it because I thought I can add value to this. I could have a great conversation here or I can use this as a learning portal for myself because I could even add something and ask a question in the same vein because the subject matter is quite diverse. There's a lot in it that I could take away from it and there's a lot that anybody reading along can take away from it or joining in can do it as well. But these days I kind of find... That's getting harder and hard to do. Mm. I even commented on something I saw online the other day about somebody commenting about group classes. They said something along the premises of group classes are a waste of time. They don't teach anybody anything and nobody learns. It's just ripping people off. And I interjected and I said, I don't agree. I find that if you've got a good educator in a group class situation, group classes are incredible for socialization. They're also incredible for helping people to cap drives on dogs that don't do so well around other dogs or people if you've got a good instructor who knows how to manage that Mm -hmm. group. So it's always based back on your teacher, your educator, who's passing along the information. And then that ties into your comments about NAPOPO and your teaching of that. I find that probably one of the worst traits a teacher can take on is parrot fashion training. Oh, for sure. When they can't answer questions that people have, which are in parallel to what they're teaching. Again, you know, using that word diversity, when you do have that diversity from your instructor or your teacher or your mentor that can say, I see that you're struggling with what I'm saying. Mm. Let me give you an analogy or let me explain it in a different way. 
Bill Gates used to say frequently that if you don't know something at a primary school level, then you shouldn't be teaching it. Mm. Uh, words to that effect. If you can't teach it to a five-year-old. That's the one. Yeah. Yes. If you can't teach it to a five-year-old, you shouldn't be teaching it because, or you should know it to that level because you really need to know how do I tear this apart? How do I rip this down? And how do I know the parallels to it? So when people do come at me with an edgy question, or I do have an educated person in my group that's still struggling with the concepts that I'm doing, but is learned and does know what they're talking about. How do I satisfy that student as well as all the other students that I've had? I too have had that situation when I've been teaching NDTF in the past. You know, like I've had groups of people that have never done dog training before, never learned any learning theory ever before. And I've had other people who are university graduates and even people who are doing masters and PhDs. Mm. So they're very smart people. They're switched on. They've already done that. They've already had university professors teaching it before. But nonetheless, they might know that, but they might not know how to put that into a practical application. Mm. They might not know how to marry that up to actually doing that with a dog. And I found that with people. I found people who can literally run rapid circles around me in their institutional knowledge. But when it comes time to put a dog in front of them, then they're stuck. They look and feel foolish, but then they turn to you as the mentor who is supposed to have the answers for them and then be able to say to them with confidence and with capability, I know you know the theory. Let's talk about the pragmatic side now. I'm going to show you how to do that or vice versa. Mm. You might have people who are brilliant practically but not know how to teach it to somebody else. They're aspiring to do that. They want to teach people. They want to earn money from it and do seminars and do things like that. So I find that, yes, you're right in what you said before. I feel that there are people in the industry who appear on paper that they don't know what they're talking about. And if they were lecturing to you and you and I or other learned people in the industry, you would probably be accurate in your concerns that they just don't know enough to be able to verify the knowledge to you and I. It's probably something that we've heard a million times before. With that being said, I feel that, yes, there are multiple peoples at different levels that are great for different people at different levels of, at different times. One of those points I did bring up in an earlier show, again, it came from academia. Sometimes we look at knowledge like it's very simple and it's very easy. And the way that we try and explain it to people is at a level that we understand it and have understood it since we became knowledgeable in it. But to them, that's as intimidating as hell. Mm. Like when you pass that information on to them, it's missing so many of those incremental steps and I feel that's where people who are beginning their journey are better off at it because they're still at that level and they still have an understanding of how to talk to people in their same group. Mm. They're not such a peer to them that's bypassed them by five or six generations of that learning theory and topic that when they talk to them, the person's just looking at them, nodding their head with fear, thinking, I, I don't want to appear stupid and mm. ask a question, but I have no idea what you just said. Yeah. The terminology, the phrasing, the industry language means very little to me and I'm so intimidated at this point. I just don't feel confident to do it. Whereas a person who is beginning their journey, they still understand I'm not far away from that person. Like I'm only a couple of steps above them. So I still know what they're feeling. I know what appears as a better language group to be able to have a better association with that person. I had a schooling in that at NDTF. I was probably teaching at a level that was beyond the Cert 3 and some people were saying, hey, Glenn, what you just said isn't in our notes. And I said, you're right, it's not in your notes. I should stick to what the notes are saying. Yeah. And I've had other complaints where people have said the course was very basic, they just stuck to the notes. But where do you draw the line on that as well? Yeah. As a teacher, 
as somebody who's going to go out there and demand an earning from your educational processes, you need to be at a level where you can have a variable skill set where you can move up and down the line. You can go down to people who have very basic skills and very basic knowledge. And if possible and capable of yourself, if you're at that level, then you can rise to the occasion with your peer group where you can talk to them with a different level when you've got a learned group of students within your processes. I was really reflecting on something as you're speaking there. Like that's something that I really struggle with when I teach. Like I love teaching. I love teaching people. It's one of my favorite things, especially to a group setting when you're teaching. And and like I don't teach group classes, but, you know, I teach two groups of people. The hard part is dialing in how to deliver the information when you have people in the room who are kind of brand new and yep. need the no prior knowledge level of description. Yep. Where there's no similarities you can draw within dogs because they don't know anything about dogs beyond the problem that they're having right now. So everything, you know, the examples that you have to give are sometimes like kid-based because maybe they have kids, they've raised kids that they can associate to that or maybe workplace-based because they've, chances are they've worked in a, a group assignment at the least if they went to school, but, you know, maybe they've had to work within a, a workplace where they get along with people, they have to motivate people, that kind of thing. Mm. So that that's sort of one structure of person that we deliver information to. The other one that sort of, you know, is probably the majority of my work is people who are fairly accomplished dog trainers because the majority of the people that I educate are either dog trainers already or they're you know, enthusiasts at the, uh, if they're not a professional. And sports people, people yeah, who are exactly. like they're, competing for titles. That's right. So mm. they, if they, even if they're not a professional trainer, they have the skill set of one. They yep. could easily become one. Another type of person is a peer, you know, somebody who knows exactly as, as much as me or even more, and they're just interested in my take on something. That's a lot of the times the Zoom lessons that I do. You wouldn't believe some of the people that I do Zoom calls with. And when I see their name, I'm like, what the fuck are they going to learn from me? Mm. But quite often they just want to spitball ideas, you know. They're like, hey, I want fresh eyes it's on training. this. It's training. It's just trading. Yeah. And it's kind of like going to see a psychologist or a counsellor. It's sometimes I just need you to hear some of the things that are circling around in my head and do they make sense to you Yeah, and could we construct this in a better way? You and I have talked many times about the second set of eyes. Yeah, principle. totally. That's sometimes when you're working with or, or having a discussion with people because I've had the same, mate, where I've spoken to people and I've thought, I feel uncomfortable about this. Like why would you want to talk to me? But when I realise we're just colleagues talking to each other, yeah. you're just literally buying a slice of my time. Yep to say, I just want to talk this out and see how it sounds. Does it sound crazy or does it sound plausible? Yeah. You know, I rationalize, because I've done that with people as well, in dogs and in other mm. things as well. I've bought people's time just to have them listen to me work out my own problems and nod at me as, I, as I'm as i doing it. It's and lovely to be the passenger sometimes. Yeah, like totally. you don't always have to be the driver. Yeah. That's a part of the skill set where you do grow as a, as a teacher or a lecturer or somebody providing seminars is sometimes you need to just shut the fuck up and be the passenger and yeah. you just need to listen to sometimes that's inspiring like what you gain from the people around you is incredible mm. just by being silent for a little bit of time and not flapping your gums yeah for me anyway the the fourth and probably last category i put people who come to my events or learn from me or whatever uh the category i put them into is they're way better than me skill set much higher than me 
but appreciate the way that I teach and are there to learn that. So, uh, you know, I have m- many people who, when I see you know, actual legitimate world champions at things turning up to learn from me. And I always at the break, I'm like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing here? And it's the same answer all the time. Like they're like, Oh, I'm here to learn the way you teach to these other people because yep. oh, I want to get better at that. That's the skill set that I'm here to get to. And I'm like, Oh, cool. I can provide you value there. I'm happy with that. But it always is a little bit intimidating when there's people like that in the crowd. But once I hear that, then I'm like, oh, sweet. I totally can provide you that. But as I say, you've got those four people or four categories of people that we're delivering information to all the time. And when they're all together, that is a fucking tricky thing to deliver. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to have to, you know, I find myself having to go over something and then maybe you go over it again and then you rehash it a third time just to make sure that all the different ways that it can be explained has been and one of the, my favorite things is when people, you know, like it's, there's no such thing as stupid questions. Often the case when people, it's why I won't take questions at the breaks. Whenever I'm teaching, when people come up to me and ask questions, it, I always say, there's no questions during the breaks. The breaks is a break for me as much as it is for you. But if you want to talk shit, I'm happy to do it. But if you, it's not that I want, don't want to d- interact with people and that kind of thing. Yeah, because 20 other people might be thinking the same thing exactly. and not have the confidence to carry it out. Exactly. So I usually say to people, hey, you can ask the question, that's mm. no problem. Or you can just write it directly on the board. And when we come back in, I'm going to answer that question. And what I often find is that the questions that are written on the board somewhat anonymously, right? Like when somebody doesn't want to put their hand up and ask it, they're often the best questions that lead to the longest explanation and the most deepest new understanding for everybody else in the room. Because it's usually because that person has really been thinking it through. And because they're thinking of it at a level that probably nobody else is, that allows me then to sort of open up the next box of information on that topic, right? And then Mm. go, okay, well, let's go into that. And by doing that, when we go to the next level, we have to rehash the level that we're at. So that gives even the people who weren't ready for the next piece of information, it runs a new track over the existing layer of information that they have you know, if it's explained in a different way, creates a new memory, it gives something else for their brain to attach itself to. So it's more recallable in the future. So it's a tricky thing to teach in that way. Mm. And as dog trainers, that's, we do it to everybody. If you're listening and you're in the dog industry, you're a teacher in one way or another. There's so few people, as we've discussed a million times, there's so few people who actually just train dogs and don't have to then pass on that information about not just how to train dogs, but how that particular dog is trained. Even if you're a person that just raises trained cells, when you sell that dog, you're going to have to teach the people how to handle that dog or what its commands are or the funnies of that dog, the intricacies of that dog. So none of us are getting out of this without having to pass on information to another human being in some one way or another. I believe it was Michael Ellis I was having a chat to while I was over in Santa Rosa And we were driving along in the car talking about board and trains because some people do and don't like board and trains. Sometimes they see the issue in them. And one of the issues is sometimes the people who train the dogs are great at training the dogs, but they're terrible at doing the handbags. So I feel that it was Michael that I was having the conversation with. I kind of recall that it was where he was saying that in his mind, and forgive me, Michael, if it wasn't you and you're listening to this, but it was a good point and I liked it and I was thinking on it and processing it quite a bit. Let's say, for example, you've got three people in your business doing board and trains for you and they don't feel confident talking to people and they don't feel confident doing the handbags, but you've got somebody who can come in towards the end, say, give me the wrap up, show me what you're doing with these dogs. I'm going to take the dogs out for a lesson. I'm going to get them accustomed to me and I'm going to do it over 
however long it needs to be for the dog to feel comfortable and for the dog to be able to work with me. And then I'm going to do the handback. I'm going to do the instructor side of things because you're doing the dog training side of things. That's what you wanted to do. And that's what your skill set and your proficiency is. My skill set and proficiency is going to be doing the handback because I am an instructor and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to work through that process. And I do feel that if viable, that is a good way to do it Mm. because some people do do board and trains because they're escaping other people. Mm. They don't really want to become an instructor. They don't want to teach other people. They just want to handle dogs and be able to pull dogs out of kennels, take them into the yard, do their social processes with them, do their educational processes with them and then put them back and have somebody take over and do the, the finishing work with them. Great, fine, whatever works. That's been carryover signature saying that you and I have said, for the longest time is use what works or whatever works in your training group that mm-hmm. is going to work for the dog, work for the training group, and also ultimately work for the owner of the dog as well. What I did want to circle back to before when we were talking about the type of people and the whys and hows and how they get into training and what's the processes, you and I both went through apprenticeships. We both had masters who took us out and showed us how to do incremental workloads and then basically says, you're just starting off with me today. Today you're just bringing stuff backwards and forwards to the car and you're sweeping up today and you're washing up at the end of the session and then you're packing all the tools up and putting it back in the car. And that's literally what you do when you first start off. And that's what needs to happen in some of these processes as well. And it does happen, you know, it does happen to a degree. Somebody shadows somebody that they enjoy their training style, they like what they're learning from them, and they can see that this person is not only good at their own personal skill set, but they're good at explaining it as well. Like they know how to give instruction, they know how to mentor, and they know how to mark people off from proficiencies. So that being the case, that's what I generally feel needs to happen a little bit more. You do need to have people that are sound people, are good people, are knowledgeable people. And I'm not talking about egotistical people who like lording over other people and keeping them pinned down, but people who basically their goal as an instructor or a mentor is to push them out of the nest as quickly as possible. To say to them, I can see you're ready to fly. Go ahead, go do Mm -hmm. it. This is a group of people that I'd recommend that you now go and try out some instruction to. Or say, I'm going to have a training group tonight. I'm going to teach this, this, and this. I want you to take these components of it Mm -hmm. and I want to assess you while you're doing it. Let me know what you're comfortable doing. Let me know what you're totally uncomfortable doing and then let's talk about it. We used to do that fundamentally all the time with Australian dog training. All the people who were doing NDTF before it was accredited were coming down and they were grey shirts. They would literally come in and stand on the sidelines and if they were proficient and you knew them and you knew that they had qualities, you'd call them in and say, I want you to go and teach a guided sit to that group of people over there. And with this group of people, because they're at the upper level of this class, I'm going to push them through for graduation. So you focus on that. If there's any problems, come and talk to me. Mm. Or you would say, I'm going to hand it over to my colleague here and my colleague is going to teach a guided sit to all of you. And then you step back and watch. And I feel that that is the way that we can actually help people embrace their skill set, give them a fast track into learning and actually understanding how to do it because then you as somebody who is respected or known in the industry and does have the required capabilities of what people need to learn to do that, you can then say, yeah, I've seen this person train. They're pretty good. Mm. Or they can do a certified course or a non-certified course or whatever. But mate, sometimes you've just got to do that leap of faith as well. Mm. Sometimes you've just got to say on record, 
I do know what I'm talking about. Like I can hold my own in a conversation when I've been online with people and they're talking about learning theory and they're talking about operant conditioning, Pavlovian conditioning, rates of reinforcement, they're going through schedules of reinforcement and they're talking about all these principles. It makes total sense to me. Like I know how to do it. I've also trained my dog as well. You know, like I can, I can keep up appearances with my dog. If I take my dog out, people who I consider my equals or my peers are saying to me, hey, man, good job. You know, mm-hmm. like they're all classic signs that you're ready to move to the next level. And a lot of people won't because they're not feeling confident. I met a guy when I was at trade school thinking about being a tradesman who was a fucking amazing singer. But he had no confidence to do it unless mm-hmm. he was drunk. And when we were out at the bar and that guy sung, everyone stopped and turned and listened to him sing. And he would only do it when he was intoxicated. And I sat him down one day and I said, dude, you have the voice of a fucking angel. And I was almost like a stepbrother's moment <laughs> where I was about to say. You I'm sound not like s- a mix of Fergie and Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'm not just some guy. But really I said, dude, you've got the voice of an angel. Like seriously, you can pull off anything, ballads, rock, everything. I said, you're, you're incredible. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started singing and singing and singing. When we are at trade school, I said, sing to the guys. Let them hear how good your voice is. He goes, oh, no way. He goes, I need to be half blasted before I can do that. Yeah, right. I felt great pity for him. And I also thought what a disappointment for everybody else that we're going to lose the ability to hear somebody who is a tremendous singer because mm. he doesn't have the confidence to carry it through. And I've met people like that in dog training as well. I've met people who have got all the balls and bravado to run out there on the field and they shouldn't be. And I've had other people who are brilliant, like as students, even entry level, they come in the way they handle dogs, the way that they talk, the feedback, the responses, their understanding and their integral knowledge of everything and you just think please be a dog trainer Mm. please go out and educate people please write a book one day or please do a course that i could learn off you because i'm sure one day i will be a student of yours they won't do it because they just lack the confidence to do it even sometimes with little pushes and that that's a, a terrible thing to do but that's what the world does to you sometimes sometimes it chews you up and spits you out and you don't have the confidence to push further Mm. You know, everything for me at the moment in training, I'm putting into three categories, right? And and it's like the structure of my new course is all motivate, communicate, and coach. Mm. And that's I've changed the the structure of the seminars I teach and the boot camps and everything. It all goes into those categories because I feel like it doesn't really matter whether you're teaching a dog or a person or whatever. Those are the categories it goes into. And my idea for starting a new person in the dog industry, certainly my observation is that most of the really good trainers end up in our industry as a baptism of fire. And it's because they end up with a dog that needs help that they like love with all their heart and want to figure out how to do it themselves. Certainly that was the case for me and I'm making up the numbers, but I reckon it feels like about 80% of the people that I meet in the industry who are really good trainers that's how they started out. They started out with a dog that was a nervous, reactive, shitty dog, but that they really loved and that they were, you know, motivated to help. And I think that, you know, that's why I say in, in all of the training that I do and everything, motivation comes first. I don't care. You can have access to all the information. You can have access to all of the coaching. You can have all the people that want to help you. You can be offered everything on a silver platter. If you're not motivated, it's not going to take, right? It's not going to work. Motivation's one thing. And I've certainly been looking into that more and more for my own lackings, if you say. Motivation is definitely one thing and it's the start. It's the spark that ignites it. But motivation 
is nothing unless you develop discipline on the other side of that. Of course, yeah. Like you have to be a disciplined person. There's a good saying that says if you motivate an idiot, all you've got is a motivated idiot. And I'm fully backing that one because I've seen people (laughs) exactly in that category before where I've seen people who are motivated, educated, and then also have the discipline to carry them through as well to say, this is now a, a habit, not only a habit, but something that I need to build on as well. So it's cyclical because motivation then comes back into it to reignite the flame to want to go forward, to not sit in that pocket of comfort. Like I've done it so many times where I thought, I'm so comfortable here. I'm making good money being comfortable. I'm just getting fat and slothy doing this because I'm in a pocket of comfort. Like Mm. it's a perfect place for me to be. But not if you want to become more knowledgeable, not if you want to learn more. It's terrible for you. Mm. There are so many times where I've had to kick myself up the ass and say, dude, what the fuck? Seriously, have a think about what's going on because you're not in a learning portal anymore. You're in a total comfort zone. We've seen that on Maslow's pyramid before, how devastating that can be when you start getting into that comfort zone. It's terrible for everyone. It's terrible for our dogs because it really doesn't uplift us. It really doesn't inspire us and it really doesn't create any benefit. Yeah, I agree. But I think without motivation, there's no point doing anything You else. have to have motivation. I agree. It's the spark. Yeah. You know, it's the first thing that makes the machine start ticking over. Yeah. For me, that's something I maintain. What started me and dogs was I had a dangerous dog. I had a real problematic dog. I, I bought a Malinois with no idea what the fuck I was doing because I saw a military working dog do something cool. And I was like, oh, I'm, I want that. But then it's that, okay, well, I have to do this. And I feel like if you're going to be really good as a trainer, that's how you have to feel. Like it has to be a, it, I have to, not I want to, this would be fun, this would be cool. And I think we see sometimes people getting into it like, oh, I can make a lot of money in this. Because there's times, you know, certainly we discussed that the industry is a bit weird at the moment, mm. but it'll come back. This is an industry where you can make a, you can make a fortune you can work your own hours. The, the reality is while life can be hard as a dog trainer, you can put in a lot of time, effort, energy into doing it, but you can make a really good living as a dog trainer. There's plenty of money that can be made and the quality of life can be incredible if you're into it. One of the things I just want to add to that is even though we are going through a hard time in all industries, not just dog training, but in life industries at the moment, but there is a positive side to it that this is the big flush sometimes Mm. because it does flush people out of all of the industries who are creating havoc and creating gridlock. I've seen this before. I've probably seen four or five cycles in my years of hard times coming and people getting out of the industry and then good times come back and then slowly people start coming back to the industry because they're attracted to only the monetary side of it and then the hard times come back and then it flushes people out again. So For the people who are in it for the long run and who are really truly passionate about it and this is your business and you are employing other people and you feel and believe in the credibility that you're getting from your communities is that you are doing the right thing, hang in there. Mm. Like it's tough. It is tough. And there are times where it was tough for me as well, especially when I was a sole trader and I had to rely on complementing my work with other things at the time but I believed in what I was doing and I wanted to continue doing it and the, the times come back. Mm. Everything ebbs and flows in life and yeah, that's what we're, we're in a ebb at the moment. Yeah, of course. That motivation piece, I truly think that that's my observation is that almost all of the, the 
certainly I think it's about 80% of the really good trainers that I see started out as, well, I have to figure this out because I'm not going to leave this dog to the mercy of the local trainer who I don't have faith in or value in, or, or there isn't access to someone, whatever it is, how people start. That's, that's very often the case is that they have to figure it out. When I then say communication, I think that the best thing that, that people can do is when they've got that dog is to start experimenting, mm. start educating yourself as much as possible. There's, you know, you go to events, you buy people's courses, you do all that. And, and there's tons of free information available and it's learning to communicate with the dog and learning to actually explain to the dog, this is what I need you to do, like how good your life can be. These are things I need you to avoid doing and finding the limitations of those sorts of things mm. and, and really playing around with it yourself, I think is really important. Now, there's a downside to that because what I think, and certainly the obvious example, is that that dog is then at the mercy of this person who is experimenting on that dog. Of course. Unfortunately, like that's- But if the dog doesn't know any better, it doesn't know any better. Exactly. And I think that overall, what I typically see is that people who, if you're motivated to try and improve the life of a dog, you will. It doesn't matter what- path you go down. It doesn't matter which camp you end up being in. It doesn't matter what tools you end up using. It doesn't matter what your end trajectory is at the end. The graph will be moving up and to the right for the life of that dog. If you're motivated to improve it, Mm. are you going to make mistakes? Of course you're going to make mistakes, like without a shadow of a doubt. But the good news is even the best trainers make mistakes on their own dogs, you know, like that happens Frequently, every- constantly. Yeah, that, that's just the reality of it. But that's also what inspires and creates good learning portals as well. Of course. When you know that you're stuck in a holding pattern in your training, that's where growth comes because then you say, well, Pat, can you help me? I seem to not be able to fix this. Something's not going right. And then when you come in with your second set of eyes and go, yeah, I can see exactly what you're doing wrong. Would you like me to tell you? And you go, yep, what am I doing? And you go, change this, try this. Here are three alternatives that I could already give you Mm. because I've made those mistakes myself and my mentors have shown me. Yeah. And that's where you pass that experience on because it's all linear. It all flows from the people that you mentored and mastered and apprenticed under. Like all of those people showed you how to do it. And you're motivated to go out and seek that knowledge and you had to discipline yourself to maintain it and say – Anytime I see this problem, I've now got at least three ways of getting out of it. You know, whereas new people only know one way because that seems to be the logical path until the dog puts a blockade in front of you and says, nope, I don't understand you. You know, a lot of the times frequently this happens because so many of the teaching scenarios that I've been with when people have come to me or show me videos and so forth and I've looked at their work, it's an incremental thing. That's the issue is that they're just having a conversation that's way beyond the scope of the dog because they've forgotten, like we were talking about before, they're coming at it as an expert level. Mm. I know in my head what I want you to do and the dog's going, cool, bro, I'm 10 increments below where you are right now. So I'm just going to literally spaz out and be a dog. That's what happens in those sort of situations. Mm. And I think the last thing that I think is important is that coaching piece, right? So I truly feel like people should be starting out with their own dog, training it as much as they possibly can, digesting as much information as they possibly can. But then the final piece is, you know, a mentor. It's having somebody looking over. It's like somebody who cares for you, looking over what you're doing and giving you advice. But I think the extra piece in that is that the people who are the easiest to coach that I find are people who do coaching. So that's how the ladder has to work. And I think that 
you know, certainly if you intend to have somebody care about you enough that they're going to give you an opinion that you didn't necessarily ask for or didn't necessarily want, but it's something that you need to hear, you also need to be in a position to be doing that for somebody else because that's like how growth works. You're, you're meant to be bringing people up to the level that you're at and somebody else is meant to be attempting to bring you up to the level that they're at and we all keep moving up the ladder. And certainly then you get experts who you really should overtake. Like that's the idea is that your, your mentor, your coach should become your peer and then eventually you branch off and become your own, you know, your own version of whatever it is that you're working towards and your mentor or coach becomes like they remain their own as well. So you can overtake them if you diversify in some other way that they don't or you can become their peer. The worst thing that can happen is that your mentor remains your mentor. Like that's a disaster. Mm. Your mentor is meant to become a peer at the minimum, right? If not that you or overtake a colleague. them. A colleague. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so I think, but one of the things I see is like a lot of people go searching for that relationship where they want to be mentored. That's where I think this system kind of falls over because it can be really difficult to find somebody who's willing to put the time and effort into you. But I think that, by doing that for other people who are a level below you, you learn how to do that better for yourself. You know, like I think that being coached is a skill. And I think that you can learn and identify what makes a coach feel like they don't want to pass on information anymore when somebody does that to you. And then you can go like, oh, okay. Those responses, those justifications, all the excuses that you're giving me makes me not want to give you any more information. So then I'm not going to do the same thing when somebody else is trying to give me information. It's one of the things like I try really hard, even if somebody's giving me information and I know that it's not right because they've misread whatever's happening here. Like I had a dog one time that I was accused of flattening and a very high level trainer said to me, you've put too much pressure on that dog. And I knew that I hadn't, it turned out the dog was sick and that's why the dog was flat in the way that it was. But I didn't argue. I just said, yeah, okay, let's hear what you have to say about how it looks like I've put too much pressure on this dog. And I didn't say I haven't and you're misreading this. I let it go because I'm like, okay, well, I want to hear what you would say in that position. I'm not going to apply it to this dog, but you don't need to know that I'm not going to do that because that would feel disrespectful. And I don't feel like getting into an argument with you. I'm just going to play it out and go, yeah, okay, understood. And I'll make any changes that you want me to change here, here now even though I know that's not the appropriate thing to hear here because an argument back then potentially closes that person off from giving you really good advice that you do need in the future. And that's what I think is where a lot of people go wrong. When somebody asks you for information, when they ask you for help, you give that help and then they start arguing with the help. Why would I offer you more help? Why would I do that? Mm. Why, why would I bother? You don't have to do it. So that's what I mean when you ask somebody if you want help from someone and they offer you, just smile and nod, even if it's totally wrong. You go, yeah, okay, cool, got it. I'll put that in the Rolodex because that information might be helpful at another time. Like don't cut it off. Yeah. But what you will be doing is cutting off them, giving you any other information going forward. And I think that's one of the biggest things in the coach aspect. And I think the best way to learn that is to have it done to you. Certainly that's what I, that's been my experience. To have that done to you then makes you realize like, oh, I've done this to other people in the past and this feeling that I now have towards the person that I'm coaching is very likely the feeling that I gave to the person who was coaching me and maybe that's why they aren't so involved in the coaching of me anymore. Mm. 
I so, bit my tongue so many times in my career. I'm surprised I've got any tongue left. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, mate. I think that's a skill, and yeah. and I think it's one of the things that like it's difficult, and we all have an ego, some more than others, but we all have it. And I think that one of the things is when you know that what some the advice somebody is giving you is not accurate because they've only seen a snippet of what you've been doing. You know it not to be accurate. But you just have to go, okay, cool. Like, let me hear this out because there might be gems in there. It's not going to apply perfectly to this situation, but it might be good information that I can use somewhere else. But arguing back in that moment, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Hearing you speaking about this reminded me, it was some time ago now, but it was interesting. I had somebody come and do a, a couple of private lessons with me. And for whatever reason, they weren't satisfied with what we were doing. So they chose to go off and seek the advice of another trainer. Little beknownst to them that the trainer that they went to was somebody that I trained. Most of their knowledge that they gained was from me. And they went there and they felt that for whatever reason that this person was giving them a better set of instructions than what I was doing. So they came back and told me, they said, hey, look, no offense, I don't want to create any bad blood between you and I, but I'm just seeing another trainer and I just feel that everything's working. And I said, what are they doing that's different? Can you tell me? And they said, oh, yeah, they're doing this, that, and the other. Inside, I was smiling. I'm thinking, that's exactly the instruction I gave you. Almost word for word, what I told you to do. But as I've said in earlier episodes in the show, sometimes people may just not align with you. Mm. Maybe it's just your charisma. Maybe it's something that you said that could have insulted them. Maybe it's something that you don't understand about your pressure that you're putting on them. Maybe it's just one of those many things. Whatever reason, they've gone off and found it with somebody else and they're finding satisfaction in them and it's working and they're progressing. As John Lennon said, let it be. Because mm. in the past I couldn't. I couldn't let those sort of things be. I would be insulted. I'd fire up about it. I'd lose sleep over it. I'd have to know every fucking incremental facet about it, like why, why, why. I'd have to chase the line to find out why that happened. Now I just think, oh, that's good. So what now what? Mm. On to the next. And like I just said, oh, thanks for letting me know. I'm glad it's working out for you. No beef. And I spoke to my colleague. I said, hey, you know, they used to come to me and they said, oh, man, I know I was sweating about it. I'm sorry I didn't mean to steal a client. I said, you didn't. They chose to come to you. You did nothing wrong. In fact, what you told them was exemplary because it's the plan that I had them on anyway. And obviously you did it better than me because they're happy with what you're doing and they want to continue with you. So well done you. Like I said, I bit my tongue. I didn't let it worry me. I didn't lose any sleep over it. Old me, yes, would have fucking freaked out about it <laughs> and obsessed about wanting to know every incremental, like every facet about why that went wrong. New me just thinks, I've got other stuff I can do. Mm. I want to fly helicopters. <laughs> Still. <laughs> Still. Hey, I, one thing I, I wanted to talk about sure. as well is one of the things that, you know, I'm harping on about starting out with a problematic dog. Something I observe is that a lot of trainers who have never had one themselves have a very hard time empathizing with the people that do. It's a different thing to have a dog that's a real problem that you just have to get out of the kennel, do your session with, you make progress or you don't, you know, like it's a different thing when you put it away. It's not your dog. You go home, live your wonderful life. To having a dog that you really love and that is your dog but is a problem dog. And you're doing all the things, you know, especially as a trainer, I've been in this position where you've got a dog and you're like, man, I'm doing everything right here, but it is not working. Can I interject just quickly? Yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer's father just died recently and he's a classic example of that. Somebody who had a son who was a monster, yet he stood by him his entire life while he was alive. 
and was still a good father to him from birth to his end date and beyond that. He was a good man, a good father. He did everything right. And I know people have had that with dogs before. Like they've had a Jeffrey Dahmer of a dog where it's just a, an absolute fucking nightmare of a dog. But they're doing everything that they possibly can and you're 100% right. And I've seen the online vitriol where people have said, put the fucking dog down, why would you do that? But they're managing that dog fine. Yeah. And they've got the credibility that they've gone out and they've sought industry expertise and advice and people have said you're living with a dog that's exceptionally harder than what everybody else is going to have here is the caveats that you're going to have to live under to keep you safe to keep the dog safe and most importantly to make sure that the greater public are safe from your dog as well and they're doing it yeah you're right there are people that want to tear them apart and i usually find that's inexperienced people yeah because that's the missing piece of experience is having been in that position yeah that, i agree you know like you can't say to people well you need to get a shitty dog <laughs> and battle through that but it's been my observation that the people who start out that way or have that at any point in their career where you have that dog where you're like man I, i'm going to do whatever it takes for you but you experience the setbacks because that's what happens, you know? And we all have had clients that we're making progress with their reactive dog and then they go out on the street just to take the bins out and the dog experiences another dog and they have the blow up that we've been working for six months to try and avoid and it's this giant setback for us. And a lot of people, if you haven't had that happen to you, then it's really easy to get mad at that client and to be like, well, why the fuck did you do that? I told you not to do that. But we all do it. We all take stupid risks at and from shit time to time. The unexpected just comes around yeah. the corner and complacency just nails you in the hits ass. us. All yep. these sorts of things. Yep. So that's why I feel it's really important to have that. And like I, as annoying as it was to have that kind of dog, and and you know I hope never to have to do it again. I'm very thankful that that's how I started out because I feel an empathy towards those people. And one of the things as well, like again, it, it upsets a lot of dog trainers, but. The short-sightedness I see in a lot of dog trainers who just tell people don't take their dog to the dog park, right? Because a lot of the people got their fucking dog so that they could go to the dog park. And when you walk rock into someone's house and they're like when they set a goal of being able to take their reactive rescue that they got down to the dog park and hang out with their local community down there and you say to those people, no, that's definitely off the table. You can never go to a dog park again. You basically show those people like I have no – understanding of your felt experience. I cannot put myself in your position. It's been my observation when you say that to people, they just close off. They're like, well, that's what you're fucking here for, mate. That's what I'm paying you to get me towards that. The reason I got this dog is because I wanted to be part of that community. And now I'm the pariah of that community because I have this problem dog. And it's the short-sightedness I've seen a lot of dog trainers who have never been there, who Mm. have never been in the position where you're like, now whether it's going to the dog park or whether it's being in the group class or being able to take the dog to the cafe, whatever it is that we as dog trainers go, well, you shouldn't do that, right? Like, because I don't take my dogs to those places, you know, like I train my dogs in dog parks, but I don't go to the fenced in madness disaster dog parks, but being a part of the community and standing there in the morning, drinking a coffee with someone while the dog's chasing the ball and all that kind of shit that like normal people do that are not dog industry people do. That's important to some people. That's why they have the dog. And when you say to those people, well, you can't do that. Well, you, you still need somebody who's confident to do that when they shouldn't do it, though, yeah, but, and, but then offer them alternatives. But that's the goal. Like, it's certainly I've observed when you say to people, you can never do that, they're like, well, then get the fuck out because if the dog's going to be locked in the house, I don't need you. I don't need you around. Where you can say to people like, okay, that's a lofty goal. 
but that's certainly okay. Like if that's where we want to work towards, these are the steps that we're going to take towards getting there. And that's when you get buy-in from people. And that's what I think. Like if you've never been in that position, if you've never had the problem dog, if you've never been kicked out of the group, if you've never been the pariah of the group, if you've never had your dog make you embarrassed to be around, it's very difficult to take the position of your client, of the person who is that and wants to fix the problem with the dog so that they can do that. Because some people, they don't understand the way we do that the dog is having an issue. They think Mm. the dog is an issue. Of course, it's our job to explain to them, no, like the dog is not a problem. He's having a problem and we need to fix that problem for him so that he can be into those spaces. But when we just say, no, you can't do that, it's just short-sightedness. And people just go, oh, well, well, fuck you. Like, what am I doing here? Why am I paying you for this? Whereas when you can say, okay, cool, let's set a goal. Let's make that our target. Whether we reach it or not, who knows? But these are the steps that we'll take to make it. And when that client calls you in tears and says, Fido just charged a dog on the street. He got out of my hands. I wasn't paying attention. I dropped the leash. And we give him a lecture about you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have put yourself in that position. This is the fallout now that comes of it. They know all that shit. They're not calling you to find out what happens now. They're calling to hear you say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. That's what's actually happening in that conversation. I genuinely feel unless you've been the person making those calls or being in that position, it's very difficult. Not impossible, not Mm. impossible, but very difficult to feel what they're feeling, to empathize with them and then give them the comfort that they need. And sometimes they just need that comfort to then be able to get back on the wagon. Like when you've had the blowout, like to take it away from dogs, I've been super fit and then I've had the day of madness. Like, you know, I've been like as fit and jacked as I can get and then accidentally eating one chocolate <laughs> and then just said, fuck it, I'm yep. eating every- I'm, I'm in the cake. Yeah, I'm, next thing I'm at the servo and I'm buying everything that they can and I'm gorging the whole lot until I'm physically sick and now I'm a piece of shit and I'm off the rails and I'm a, like, I think of myself of that person and you need someone to go, hey, no, tomorrow you start again. Mm. No, you, you're fine. You just had a mad blowout. You're going to feel like shit for a little while. You're going to pay the consequence of that, but we're back on the wagon and you have to keep working towards this. Because if in that moment someone goes, yeah, you're a piece of shit, <laughs> well, that's it. You're a piece of shit from then on out. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think not just to motivate you to learn, like that's why people become very good in doing that, but it's because you have the actual felt experience of working through the problem at a point where you're like, no, there's no giving up. There isn't giving up because I think that's what, like certainly I feel like that sometimes, you know, when you see someone's disaster dog, you're like, oh my God, fucking hell, this is going to be a life of anguish with this dog. Why are we bothering doing this? And I have to remind myself, no, I've been that person. I've been there. And like, this is the position. And that's your job. Yeah. You're you're the coach. You're you're there to offer alternatives and solutions. But I've been the person that got told that you need to euthanize this dog. And as the people leave, I look at the dog and I go, fuck them. Like, we ain't doing that, mate. We're figuring this out, you know? And I have had, I've had to remind myself of that many times throughout my career where I've wanted to say to the people like, this is a disaster. I think like, I wouldn't do this, but I don't love this fucking dog, right? So having had that experience, I feel like that was an important part of my career where then I can look at the people and go, hey, all right, I see you. I understand the position that you're in. I get this. This is going to be a lot of work, but Mm. if you're willing to do it, I'm willing to hold your hand through doing it. (sighs) That's my rant. It's a good sentiment and I agree with it because I just early in the week I just had a little French bulldog that came down to me that's 
he's aggressive under certain stimuli and situation. But for the majority of the time, he's a really robust, happy little dog. He just doesn't really want to be touched by people. He's not a traditional French bulldog that wants to fly into your lap and nibble on your chin and lick your ears and stuff like that. He doesn't enjoy that. He liked playing tug with me and he liked doing all sorts of things. But listening to what the advice that the client was given, there were certain times when we were having a conversation and I could see her brow furrowing. And I said, let's continue on that line. Mm. And she said, why are you pulling me down this rabbit hole? And I said, because I can see it in your face. I need to know what happened and, and why they said this. Like what was the situation around it? Why were you told this advice? And it was interesting some of the things that she was told. It was so unnecessary, so unnecessary to be told that. So she asked me the question at the end of the lesson. She said, so is, is he all that bad? And I said, no, he's a fun little dog. But you got to understand he's got limitations and he's trying to tell everyone, I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be picked up and I don't want to be cuddled. And I said, is he affectionate with you? And she said, well, in a way, like he doesn't jump in my lap and want to lick my face and so forth. And I said, let me guess. He just wants to sit down beside you and be next to you and just make contact next to you. She said, exactly that. And I said, that's who he is. Mm. And that's who he's going to remain for the rest of his life. And I said, and we've got workarounds for that. That's fine. Let him be the dog he needs to be. I said, I've got three French bulldogs inside. They're all gimpy in their own way and they all do their own thing and they all have their own little idiosyncrasies. We just know who they are. We know who can be with who and who doesn't want to be with who Mm. and why that would make their life shit if we insisted upon it. So we just don't do it. We have all of the instructions and all of the caveats around them that we know this is how you live a happy life forever after. Because if I insist upon it going another way with our dogs or with your dogs, it's going to be a really shit life for them and for you and for me Mm. because I'll be constantly mitigating battles all the time that I can easily avoid by making a lot smarter choices. At the end of it, you know, she was so relieved and she said, oh, I can't thank you enough. And I said, really, the other people that you're working with, the vets and the, the trainers that you've been working with, they have really no place in saying these things to you because they're going off kilter on what they actually know, how to advise you. And it's unfair that they've put you in that situation. And that's one of hundreds of people that have been in that situation. So going back to the dog park, to circle back to that, I'm an advocate of not populating dog parks with dogs. There are certain dogs that can go to dog parks and there are people in my community that have seen the dogs. I said, your dog will be fine at a dog park. Your dog is so robust and bomb proof. It'll be fine. It'll be the best thing that's ever down there. And if I have said to people, don't go to the dog park, I've given them a good reason why. And I've also given them three or four alternatives. Do this with your dog instead. Your dog will be in conflict if it goes down the dog park. If you want to push along with it, like you said, we can, but I'll advise against it. I'd rather for you that you live a happy and more complete life by doing this, this, and this with your dog instead. But it's your dog. It's your choice at the end of the day. All I am is an advisor to you. If you choose to go against what I'm saying and something happens, that is on you. Mm. And and I'll still be here to help you at the end of it. I'm not going to beat you up and tell you that you're a fool and that you suck and I hate you and I don't want to train your dog anymore. I'm just thinking, well, you're still a client. Mm. You're still going to pay me money to come back and help resurrect whatever drama happened, but I would rather it not happen. I think it's about motivation because – You've got to understand motivation before you can train the animal. And the animal is sometimes the person. And so if their motivation is that they want to be able to do social shit with their dog, you have to leverage that. And that's what I see when when trainers, like whether it's a dog park or just taking the dog to public places, whatever. And you're dead right. Some dogs 
that's never going to happen. That's 100% off the cards. Well, let me put it in perspective for you. If you're a visually impaired person and you come to me and said, I want to drive my car down the road, I would say to you, I will let you drive in a car park that hasn't got traffic in it and I'm going to sit in one of those cars that's got steering wheels and everything on there and I'm going to let you drive a car. I'm going to let you have the sensation driving a car. There's no way I'm going to let you drive down a busy road where I've got no control of the vehicle or have you. Yeah. The person might have motivation and desire to want to do it, but you've also got to think about from an aspect point of view, like who is this good for? Yeah, yeah. Like really, who is it good for and as far as community service goes for? And most people, when we get into consent and understanding and deductive reasoning and so forth, most people would say, yeah, there's no way I'm going to do something like that. It's dangerous to myself. Dogs don't know that sometimes and wishful thinking people don't know that sometimes when they want to take their dogs down to, let's not call it a dog park, but any place where it's just not compatible with their dog, your job also as their coach and their mentor is to guide them to greener pasture, Mm. to be the good coach that says to them, I'm on your side and I hear you and I know how desirable that would be from many years of experience and knowledge and understanding and seeing how that plays out with so many other people, I can tell you the life that you're going to have by doing that as opposed to this. But I will stand by you in every single way that I possibly can. I agree with you totally. Mm. You know, help them to build the tower that they want to build with the limitations that's still available to you. Yeah, but it's understanding their motivation. Like why the dog park? Right, because I've had man, I've had this conversation, fuck, at least fifty times, where people are like that's the goal, and I'm like, okay, but why? Why is that the goal? And when you really tease at it, it's that they want the community of it. They yeah, like going got down FOMO. there. It's not yeah. that they like need their dog to be in the dog park, or that they, they've called you around. It's not that they're so lazy that they don't want to do an alternate thing with a dog. It's that the core of the dog park is that it's community. Cool. Go down there without a dog. Yeah, but that's not, you're not in the crew, right? So then what I've usually done in those aspects is we go, okay, well, that's the goal, right? That's the mm. goal. We're going to the dog park. That's the end result. But there's a lot of other things that we can do a lot. We, well, we have to do to get to that point. Yeah. And maybe you'll find community in those as well. You know what I mean? Like maybe this is the idea of the group classes and this is the idea of, you know, you get into nose works or you get into a sport. Like, you know, you look at our club, very few of those dogs are capable of being in a group setting with each other. Mm. You know what I mean? But it's a, it's a very tight knit community of people. It's one dog at a time. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it's a, the dog comes out, we all assist each other in the training. We review each other of the training. We're holding lines. We're in bite suits. We're doing all the things. So we're the dog park community, but tighter, but we don't need all our dogs running around together. So that's what I mean. Like it's developing what is the motivation here. But what I've seen so many times, I've had so many trainers and and you see it online, just people just going like, no blanket, no, never, and shitting on people for wanting to do it. When you say that to a pet owner, then they just go, okay, well, the dog can fucking live in the backyard and never like, um, why would I do, why would I do any training with this dog? Because he's not a- Worse still, they'll flip it to welfare. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. I get it. I hear what you're saying. And I understand the conundrum that it puts you in as an instructor- and yes, I, th- I feel that you do have to be a better listener. You used the word empathy before. I feel that that is apt for that setting is that you do have to have an appropriate level yeah. of empathy for the person to, to get to the bottom. Yeah. You know, like you and I have done plenty of sessions with Birdie and she's one of those type of people who does want to arrive at that conclusion. Like, why is it that that is so important to you? Yeah. Sidestepping that conversation for a second, 
I just saw an Instagram clip of Gabby that was over in New Zealand and she won the trial with her dog, mm-hmm. that super male. What's his name? Do you remember? Falcor. Falcor. She was on horseback. She had a bunch of other dogs and him and they were all happily running along together and then they stopped at a fence where all these cows and baby cows were there and the dogs were just perfectly looking at the fence without any nonsense, without any problem. Isn't that wonderful mm. when you can see such a incredibly working, powerful dog like that that's no bullshit with other dogs, no bullshit with horses, no bullshit, yeah. not running along and trying to nail the cows in the other paddock. That is incredible. That just goes to show that there's a lot of naysayers out there who just say when you develop these dogs, these strong, powerful dogs, you know, they can't have a normal life. You're looking in the wrong direction, my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, before we do the wrap-up, Narelle launched the United States oh, yeah. on Canine Certicals. Very successful first launch. Quite a few people got on board and jumped on with it. So thank you very much for those people. Narelle and I got a bunch of people asking if it's coming into Canada. At this stage, in the very short term, no, because there's a lot of regulatory issues with getting into Canada, such as having to relabel everything to be English and French. Right. So uh, yeah, there's, right, okay. because there is the- French Q- speakers. Yeah, Quebecian French-speaking population over there. So therefore, it's part of the government requirement to do that. So at this point in time, Narelle's got her work cut out for her. But we do both, from Narelle and I's perspective, we really want to thank people for supporting and jumping online. I've told people before here and, and abroad and on the podcast, it's human-grade exceptional quality. I mean, Narelle does nothing but research the quality and constantly upgrade it. If she feels that it could be better uh, and it's better suited to dogs, she will certainly go down that path and she'll change her formulas and do whatever she needs to do with consult with other people. So I'm really proud of her. She's done a great job, but I'm also proud of the community, especially for people who want better for their dogs as well. So thanks guys. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I've had some of the dog medicine. (laughs) 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 When I couldn't get any pee. It's dog medication, be it upon you. (laughs) But it is human grade quality. (laughs) It's exactly the same thing, but if it's registered for pet use, then it's got to be sold for pet use. Yeah, Yeah, so thanks, guys. It's important to Narelle. She actually had a bit of a nosedive some years ago when she was just thinking about how bad some of the commercial diets are for dogs. Mm. Like that really puts her into a tailspin when she thinks about it. And it's her gesture to do better by dogs and do better by pet owners because there's a lot of dogs out there who are just like people. They're just coming up with these unknown and unreasonable illnesses. Generally, when you look deeply into it, you generally find out it's diet and supplement deficiencies in them that are causing issues for people, especially for people like you and me who are in the sporting dog worlds and so forth. We're demanding big things of our dogs. Like we're putting our dogs through our paces. Greyhound people have been doing this for years. They're incredible with how well they supplement and the incredible diets they actually have their dogs off. So kudos to the Greyhound people. They've been on it forever. Mm. I don't think anyone needs to tell them how to do it because they're brilliant at making sure that everything that they're asking for the dogs, all the pressures and physical stresses and mental stresses they're doing, they're also adequately supplementing it as well. But sporting dog people are a little slow on the game there. They're just still not quite there yet. And that's not me saying you have to buy from us and I'm not, it's not a pressured funnel that I'm trying to get you into. It's just the more educated I am now on diet and supplementation, the more I understand how imperative it actually is. Mm. Even things for lactating females when they're having puppies and so forth or kittens or human babies or whatever, the actual strife that it has on your body and all of the considerations you have to have into of what you need to eat, how you need to eat, 
the different meal sizes that you need to have because now you're feeding a fetus as well. There is an ongoing list of education that's in there itself. But my wife's a smart one in that, not me. Awesome. Mm. All right. That's it for another episode of the Cano Paradigm. As yeah. always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. Yeah. A few bucks a month, get your giant backlog of information in there, new stuff going forward, as well as you could pay 10 bucks a month. You could get a live stream once a month with me. Give us um, 100 bucks a month and just say, I just want to give you 100 bucks a month, yeah, like some that. people do. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. We have incredible listeners. We, we do. appreciate you all very, very your much. Your generosity is never-endingly appreciated. Yeah, the other way you can support the show is get some cool merch. It's yep. always a treat to see people wearing our T-shirts. We get a few bucks per one. You get a cool shirt. It's wonderful. It's a great yeah. deal. Please rate and share us on all of our social medias as well, like oh, especially yeah. on Apple and Spotify. I was doing a bit of research the other day and we're falling behind a little bit on there. Oh, really? Yes, we are. So oh, if you wouldn't mind, if you haven't done Come it Come on, before, guys. Pick yeah, us up. Please. It would be wonderful. I know it's a pain in the ass. Like it is a pain in the ass sometimes to find that little area and have to tick all the stars and then write the little comment in there and so forth. But it really is appreciated. And it does help our podcast stand out. So we are dragging our heels on that a little bit right mm. now. Okay. Need to pick it up. We do. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is to jump into the discussion group on Facebook. There's yeah. groups or some information there. Or you can send us an email. We are info at com. Love you. Goodbye. <laughs>